0: A little bit of background about Proverbs. Proverbs is basically, was written as Hebrew poetry. Um, it's a characteristic, we see a lot more of that in the earlier portions of the Bible than we do in, in the New Testament. The poetry in, in Proverbs does not rhyme like normal po- poetry that we think of when we think of poetry, it's more prose. Um, but it's it's structured, and we've talked about the structure before, but I think it's important to look at how the writers of Proverbs wrote it. It's written in a two-line parallel statement. And the first line often makes a point, and then it's contrasted by the second half of the um, verse. Here's, Here's an example, Proverbs 10 and 12. This is on hatred versus love. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. So you have two parallel statements, and one contrasts the other. Um, At other times, both halves of the statement say the same thing, with the second half kind of explaining what the first half said. Example, chapter 12 and verse 28. In the way of righteousness, there is a life. Along that path is immortality. So the first type of writing we have is the first statement and the second statement are parallel, but one is the opposite of the other. In the next type of writing, it's the first half it says a statement, and the second half more than more clarifies what the first half said. There's some that um, there are, are statements that are more of commands, um, Chapter twenty and verse thirteen. Do not love sleep or you'll grow poor. This is from last week. Stay awake and you'll have food to spare. These are more of commandments and they both say the same thing, both statements, but they're more of a commandment to us as, as a word to the wise. I saw something yesterday that said word to the wise isn't necessary, it's the, the stupid people that need it. But, <laughs> but this is more as we would say a word to the wise. And another thing in Proverbs, and keep in mind, Solomon wrote a lot of Proverbs, but he did not write all of them. There is a lot of um, colorful comparisons. For example, in chapter 21 and verse 16, it's those things, the way it's described, it, it helps us remember it, and it puts it there so that we can relate to it. A fortune is made by a lying tongue. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. It, it puts a picture in our mind of what the writer is trying to say, more than just, don't, don't tell lies. That says it's the same thing, but this is a little bit more elaborate and colorful. Uh, another verse is, um, we read in last week's lesson, chapter 26 and 21. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome, quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It gives this colorful example of what the writer is trying to get across. So that's a little bit of background on on Proverbs. Our study today is going to be on a topic that I'm sure many of us could be considered experts on. It's a natural thing, I believe, when we look at the Bible and we see some of the great men in the Bible to think that they all lived these lives of of perfection and, and everything they did was just godly. And that's really a, a misconception because we look at one of the greatest men of the Bible, Moses. Here's a man that was chosen to lead God's chosen people out of captivity. Millions of people. This man was chosen to lead millions of people from Egypt into the Promised Land. And when we picture Moses, we always picture Charlton Heston standing at the Red Sea with this rod stretched out and the sea parts. And it's it's this great, fantastic, fabulous Moses. We picture Moses in front of Pharaoh speaking great things to Pharaoh. Let my people go. If you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. And here's this great man that did all these wonderful things. But Moses had a problem, and the problem was anger. When he grew up in the Pharaoh's house, the thing that got him in trouble where he had to actually leave Egypt is he saw an Egyptian beating one of his countrymen. Remember, he was a Jew that grew up in Pharaoh's house, and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow countrymen, and he killed that man. And he hid the body, but somebody saw it, And so he had to flee and he left and went into the desert, Midian. A little bit later on, he's leading the people out of slavery and he goes up to Mount Sinai and God gives him these commandments on these tablets of stone. This is God's man came almost face to face with God Himself and here's the commandments for your people. He gets back down to the bottom of the hill and the people while he's gone have built a calf out of gold and they're dancing around the calf and worshiping this golden calf. Moses gets so mad that he takes these tablets of stone that God gave him and he throws them down on the ground and breaks them. Later on, he gets upset at the people and and he, they need water, and they're complaining and whining like they always did. And God tells him to speak to this rock, and water would come out. Moses is so angry that he, instead of speaking to the rock, he takes this staff and hits the rock. And the water still came out. But he didn't get going to the promised land because of that. He had a little anger problem. anger management. Peter Johnson, who is a Fox contributor, um, if you watch Fox News, you probably have seen him before. He's an attorney. He also wrote an article in USA Today back several years ago. I want to read this some excerpts from this article. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we get angry and remain bitter with people and actually forget while we're upset? Take, for example, the notorious Hatfield-McCoy feud. It hit newspaper front pages in the 1880s when the Hatfield clan feuded with the McCoy clan from across the border in Kentucky. Historians disagree on the cause of the feud, which captured the imagination of the nation during a 10-year run. Some cite Civil War tensions. McCoys sympathized with the Union, Hatfields with the Confederacy. Others say it began when the McCoys blamed the Hatfields for stealing hogs. As many as a hundred men, women, and children died. In May 1976, remember this started in the 1880s. In May 1976, Jim McCoy and Willis Hatfield, the last two survivors of the original families, shook hands at a public ceremony der- dedicating the monument to six of the victims. McCoy died February eleventh, 1984, at age 99. He bore no grudges, and had his burial handled by Hatfield Funeral Home in Toller, Kentucky. After all that time, nobody even knew what they were mad about. They just knew that they were mad. <laughs> Anger is like that. In fact, we're going to read several scriptures today, and that's kind of what we're talking about is angry words. Proverbs 12 and 16 is where we'll start. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. And then 14 and 17 says, A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Verse 29 says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. In chapter 15 and 18, it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. And then in 16 and 32, better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. If you haven't figured out what we're going to talk about today, it's about controlling our anger and controlling our tongue. In fact, somebody said these words last week as we were talking along some of the same lines about counting to to ten. Before we speak. One of the characters we speak of, of or spoke of a couple of weeks ago in the book of Proverbs was the, the sluggard. And we talked in depth about the sluggard. There is another person that's mentioned in Proverbs quite a bit and it's the fool. And the fool is also in other places called simple. The fool is a, a dull, obstinate, human being that refuses to learn from the Word of God. The problem is not with a low IQ. It's not that a fool is a stupid person. Don't get them confused. When the Bible and Proverbs speaks of a fool, it's not saying this person is ignorant. It's talking about a person that hears the Word of God but doesn't respond to it. Proverbs 15 and 3 Give some examples of what Proverbs says about a fool. Nope. How about Proverbs 14 and 9? There we go, 15 and 5. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. It says a fool won't even listen to what his father says when he tries to give him instruction and in chapter 14 and 9 fools mock at making amends for sin but goodwill is found among the upright a fool even laughs at the idea of of repenting another characteristic of the fool and this is where we're headed today is that a he or she does not know how to handle angry anger appropriately. When provoked or irritated, the fool vents their anger immediately. The wise person, however, overlooks an insult. Proverbs 12 and 6, 16 that we read at the beginning, a prudent man overlooks an insult. Now, if you look at the, the way that this scripture was originally written, it's... Using the word insult to, as a verb, meaning with contempt or dishonor. So it's saying that this insult is really somebody that, that dishonors you. Maybe it's, it's something that you deserve to get mad about. If somebody speaks to you with contempt or dishonor, we would think, well, then I rightfully should have gotten angry. But it says a prudent man, overlooks it even if there's legitimate grounds for anger a prudent man still overlooks the insult and this is where we all start going "Mm." this pew isn't near as comfortable as it was before That's exactly what it's saying. We can do it. The problem is that we do, not we generally, oftentimes, we choose not to. And that's what we have to do. And that's that's what the writer of Proverbs is saying here. You know, the fool just immediately shows how annoyed they are. They make a public event out of the fact that this person insulted them, but a prudent man just acts like it didn't happen. Now, that's not something that I believe that we are very capable of doing without the Holy Spirit in our life. On our own, I think we would find that very, very difficult to do. But that's one of the advantages. Advantages of having the Holy Spirit in our life is that it gives us that prudence to overlook when somebody speaks to us in that way. The behavior of a prudent man mirrors the character of God, overlooks those things. When, oftentimes, we do things that grieve God, but He doesn't smote us dead right on the spot. He doesn't vent his anger immediately at us when we do something wrong. He does allow us to come and ask forgiveness or repent. And that's the characteristic that we need to try to put in our life. Sure. They said, But I love him because, because of that great love, it covers all the, the badness that they've done. So love is the thing that cover will cover the thing like you cannot see. Love is blind. Like a person will leave and go to jail and marry somebody and somebody said Why? But the love cover all but that person. They don't see nothing. That's right. Being angry. Now let me clarify something here. Being angry does not make a person a fool. The person does that on their own by venting that anger. It's not, it's not a fool that becomes angry. It's an angry person that becomes a fool. We've all seen this before that People, they they say, well, I'm quick-tempered. Well, quick-tempered generally just means unthoughtful. It means that I speak before I think what I'm going to say, and whatever comes to my mind automatically just comes out of my mouth. As bad as this is, there's another person that's spoken of in chapter 14 and verse 17. And this is a person that is a cold-hearted, calculating person it says that a quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is, is hated. This is a crafty person, a schemer, somebody that, that says, you made me angry, and I'm not going to lash back at you right now, but I'll get you back. You hear people that use the term, and, and they almost glory in this, I don't get mad, I get even. That's what this scripture's saying. It's saying they're both bad. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is a bad person. You know, you think you can almost see somebody spouting off at the mouth in anger. That's bad enough. But when somebody is is angered and they just let it sit inside and they let it boil over and they scheme and plot to get back, that's even worse. You look at the, the events at Virginia Tech in the last couple of weeks. And you see a young man that had so much anger and hatred in his heart. And you see from the the videotapes that he made that he, he had this immense hatred for other people. And it's it built up in him. And, and he schemed and crafted over a period of however many months or weeks to do something to get back at these people. And his way of doing it was to walk into a place where there's people completely unarmed and just start killing people. That's that type of anger. That crafty man who plots and 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 tries to twist and and plan how I can get back at the people I hate. And look what the end result is there. Look at the hurt that is caused by anger. The Bible speaks of being slow to anger. And I assure you that the only thing that will cause you to be slow to anger Is the Spirit of God in your life. It's just not our human nature. If you go all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, here's two brothers. There's not very many people on earth. And the only two brothers that are there, one of them gets mad at his brother and what's he do? He kills him out of jealousy. Chapter 14, verse 29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And basically, that's, it's, it's saying again what it's already said. It, it, it's that the quick-tempered man makes a fool of himself. The quick-tempered person gets himself into trouble displays folly you've seen people that were basically nice people but when they got angry things came out of their mouth that you would never expect to come out of that person's mouth and you go where did that come from and maybe even the person himself is saying where did that come from came from here wise person might feel anger we all feel anger if you're sitting here today and you say well I never get angry then you need to come down here and repent for lying because we all get angry if you don't you need to get a life <laughs> Because we all become angry. If we're human. You drive in traffic enough in this county, and you will find yourself becoming angry from time to time. It's how you react to that anger is what we're talking about today. I'm not saying that that if you get angry, you're going to you get angry, you're going to split hell wide open. But how you react to that anger will determine that. That's exactly right, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Unwilling to let a quarrel cool down a fool stirs it up we look at 15 and 18 a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension but a patient man calms a quarrel you see people that they just won't let it go you argue and argue and argue and they get angry and matter and matter and when you think it's about resolved they got to get that last word in A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, won't let it die down, won't let it go away, but has to keep it stirred up all the time. But a patient man calms a quarrel. A patient person is the one that holds that and says, you know what, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Why don't we just let this go? And sometimes what we need to do when we get in those situations is say, let's not talk about this right now. I think it's best if we come back to this later. It's something that I think is very biblical. We have to be slow to anger. And sometimes the only way that we can be slow to anger is to walk away from what's making us angry. Come back to it when we've calmed down. Do what we talked about last week. Maybe write it out. What you really wanted to say to that person, write it down on a piece of paper and then rewrite it and edit it out and and change it around. And by the time you're through, it's all out of your system and you won't say anything to that person. And that would be the patient man. By taking the time to write those feelings down. Take them to God in prayer. Take them to to God and say, Look, I can't handle these feelings. I need you to help me with them. This anger is too much for me right now. I'm going to blow up. you got to help me. And the opposite of that is to do what people do and they just blow up and anymore we see you never even know driving down the road somebody gets mad at you in traffic and gets out and shoots the person that made them mad. That is uncontrolled anger. You go, how could somebody do that? Not controlling it. Back years ago people would would make the statement why I oughta and nowadays they don't even why I oughta they just do it It goes on to say in chapter sixteen and verse thirty two that the role of a peacemaker or a patient person or a a a mediator, is greater than that of a warrior and that a person that can control his temper is more powerful than one that can take a city. And you say, well, why would there be so much of this in the Bible? If the Bible is a guideline for us to live our lives by why would we not expect it to cover some of the most basic things that we face in our life and it's something that it doesn't matter if you're young or old rich or poor what where you are in the social status it doesn't make any difference people get angry The view of anger in Proverbs, and as we read through this, we'll see it a little bit more, that it's it's basically a human emotion that is in need of self-control. It insinuates that people who have uncontrolled or continuing anger are dangerous. Not only are they dangerous, but they're contagious. You get around people that get angry about everything... And if you're not careful, you will find yourself being that exact same way. And you will find yourself relating to people with that same type of anger. Sometimes we believe, well, I have a, I have a right to be angry. I have a righteous indignation. <laughs> Call it what you want. If it's anger and it's uncontrolled... It's sin. We need to be careful in our justification that it's righteous. It does say that God has become angry. In fact, Numbers 12, verses 1 and 2, I'll read a couple examples here. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Like they thought he wouldn't hear it. Go down to verse six, six through nine. And here's what God said. Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, he's saying, Moses is my man. What makes you think it's okay to talk about him? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. That is powerful. His anger burned against them and He left them. Later on in in the book of Deuteronomy, we won't go there, but you can look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 29, the anger of the Lord was stirred up against the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to a point where He said, I'm just going to destroy the cities. And eventually, that's exactly what He did. But God doesn't just say okay you know what you made me mad so i'm just going to wipe you out if you look even at the story of sodom and gomorrah before he destroyed those cities he allowed lot he said let me find 50 people couldn't find 50 let me find 20 it finally got down to where it was just lot and his family god gave him chance after chance after chance before he destroyed the city In fact, in Psalm 103 and verse 8, it said, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It doesn't say that God never gets angry, but it says that He's slow to anger, but He's abounding in love. Later on in Joel, chapter 2 and verse 13, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. In other words, he doesn't destroy us just because we made him angry. When you look back to the story of Moses' sister, it says that God left them. He could have just as easily struck them dead right there on the spot. In the New Testament, we see more of this type of character of God about that forgiving and always abounding in love and slow to anger. In fact, we even see Jesus in Mark 3 and 5. He showed anger. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. This is speaking of the Pharisees at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. This is when the Pharisees were just on him about healing this man. And he was angry about it. But he didn't lash out at them. He just did what he was going to do and proved who he was. Somebody spoke earlier about the money changers in the temple. Chapter 11, verses 15 and 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? He was angry because they had taken some place that was supposed to be a house of God, a house of worship, and they had turned it into something totally against that. They turned it into a place where they could sell sacrifices and they could change money and where people didn't even have to worry about having their own sacrifice they'd just come buy one and walk in the temple. Yeah, Jesus was angry. But if you drop down Matthew 5 and 43 through 46, look what Jesus said about loving our enemies. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that. How hard is it to love somebody that loves you? The tax collectors were some of the most hated people of that day. Everybody hated the tax collectors. Because not only did they make you pay the Roman tax, they'd add a little bit on for themselves, and they got rich from it. And so everybody hated them. But Jesus is using that to say, you say you love those that love you, big deal. Tax collectors do that. That's not hard. Well, I never get angry at those that I love. That's not hard. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's where it gets hard. Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, do not sin. Boy, that's hard. I wish he would have explained that one a little bit better. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Basically, what Paul's saying here is, if you're going to get angry, don't let it go to a point to where you have sinned in your anger. You will get angry. Anger in itself is not a sin. It's an emotion. But what happens with that anger is where we get ourselves in trouble. And Paul went on to say that basically when we go beyond that point, we have given the devil a foothold in our lives. We have left a crack in the door so that the devil can get in. Don't give him a foothold. Don't let anger be the way that the devil gets at you. We've often said that there are so many ways that the devil will come to try to destroy us. And he doesn't use the same way for each of us. As I've said before, I had no problem this week with not robbing 7-Elevens. I was never tempted one time to rob a 7-Eleven. I promise. Never even thought about it, seriously. Or to go down in the hood and buy some crack. I wasn't tempted to do that. But now when it comes to anger, I had some issues this week. And isn't that the way it always is? When you're going to teach on anger, the week before you get to be an expert? Teach from experience, that's right. Strong anger and rage are some things that Paul said should not be a characteristic in a Christian's life. Let's look at Colossians Chapter 3 and verse 8. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. This is what Paul's saying. Get rid of these things. Anger, rage, just happened to be the first two. Malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Now I don't know if Paul listed things like they do when they list ingredients on the back of a package. That the, they list them in order that they appear in the package. Which would be the more important things, but he did happen to list anger and rage as the two first two things to get rid of in your life. Proverbs 19 and 11: A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. And a lot of us would say, oh, I wish that wasn't in there. It is His glory to overlook an offense. Wisdom is the key to acquiring patience. And patience is the key to overcoming these type of things. If you think about it, if a person has enough patience, somebody can say whatever they want or do whatever they want, and they don't react to it. Because their patience lets them say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be long-suffering and patient. That's That's hard. But that's where wisdom comes from. What leads to anger? Wounded pride. Somebody says something about us or our family or somebody we know or somebody we love. There's just a whole myriad of things that cause anger. But the thing that will control it every time is patience. And patience comes with wisdom. Chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. We talked about that a minute ago. If you spend your time around those, we said it's contagious. That that spirit of anger is contagious. You spend your time around angry people and you will find yourself reacting in the same way. We become like those that we spend our time with. When we were growing up, and maybe as our kids grew up, we told them to choose your friends wisely because that's who you're going to be like. Yet when we get to be adults, we find ourselves not really doing that all the time. And Proverbs, which is considered the book of wisdom, since Solomon was a what we consider one of the wisest men that ever lived, says, don't hang around with angry people. Or you'll get angry in fact the hebrew language of this don't hang around with angry people it implies lordship it basically says that a person that is easily enraged is enslaved to anger And if you spend your time with people like that, you will become enslaved to anger just like them. He understood. Solomon had how many wives? Hundreds of wives. There's a man that knew anger. (laughs) I was just pointing out a fact. Chapter 25 and verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You know, one of the most important things in those days were the walls around the city. As long as there was a wall, the city could defend themselves to some extent. When the walls came down, there was no defense for that city. When we lose our self-control, we are defenseless. That is the thing that keeps us from just going out and doing all those horrible things that we see in the world. Chapter 27 and verse 4. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? He's saying, as bad as anger is, and fury is just something that just takes over completely but you can't even begin to stand against jealousy. It's like this gigantic sea that just floods in. And if you look at anger and fury and jealousy, they go together so well. Jealousy brings about that anger. And self-control will control that jealousy. And wisdom will give us that self-control. The Bible speaks in the in Psalms, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin against it. When we know these things, we know these things that the Bible talks about that are important to us in our everyday life, and we hide them in our heart, and we make them a part of our life, it's a lot more likely that we'll go and not sin against God. Chapter 29 and verse 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The writer was saying that a fool has a better chance of making it than someone who speaks before they think. And clearly, if you look through the book of Proverbs, it says there's really not much hope for a fool. And if there's not much hope for a fool, and a fool has more of a chance than a man that speaks in haste, how much chance does that person have? Proverbs 29 and 22. An angry man stirs up distention. And a hot-tempered one commits many sins. There's that person, again, that gets angry and just goes and tries to stir people up. There's that person that gets angry and goes and says things that they shouldn't say or they do things that they shouldn't do, and it's strictly out of anger. Let me as I've studied this lesson this week, I've been hesitant to, to bring something up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I have some pictures, but I'm not even going to show them this morning. Um, even if you show anger and you try to do it under the guise of being a godly person, it's still anger, anger, and it's still harmful. This past week, I was listening to a talk radio show, a man named Mike Gallagher, from everything I know, a good Christian man. He allowed these two women to come on his show for three hours. They were from Westboro Baptist Church. This is not about Baptist churches. This is about Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro Baptist Church are the people that have taken upon themselves to go to funerals of soldiers and different ones and picket. And they hold signs at the funerals of soldiers. And I had pictures of some of these signs this morning. They say that um, God hates your children, your sons are in hell. And they do these at funerals of people that are grieving over their children, and they do it in the name of their church. Mike Gallagher allowed these two women to come on his radio show for three hours because he made a legal agreement with them and his attorneys that if he would do that, they wouldn't picket the funerals of the 32 people that were killed at Virginia Tech. They were going to send picketers to every funeral and hold signs at a time in these parents' lives when their children were killed a senseless crime holding signs up that your children are in hell, God hates America, God hates your children, and some stuff that I wouldn't even repeat. And they did it in the name of God. And I listened to that radio show. And as I listened, I thought, here are people that have this what they would consider righteous indignation. And there was people that would call in, and I didn't hear a single person call into this show that agreed with what they said, but there was one man called in and he said, they said, you can't know you're saved unless you do exactly what we're saying here. The best you can hope for is when you stand before the white throne of judgment that you were saved. And a man said, look, I'm going to tell you this. I know that I'm saved. He said, my sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life on Calvary so that I could be saved. And I know without a doubt that I am saved. And the answer that this lady gave him was, and I won't quote, you go ahead and believe that. But but when you stand before God on the great white throne of judgment he's going to grab you up by the scruff of your neck and drop kick your into hell and that was from a person representing themselves as a christian let me tell you something anger that comes from a person saying that they speak for god is just as damaging As anger from the pit of hell. How many people would hear that and would say, I've got to get saved. Mostly people would hear that and say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. I'm a better person than that and I'm not even a Christian. Folks, it's bad enough to get angry at bad things. But to get angry and try to blame it on God is just detestable. The Bible goes on and says that by this people will know that you are my disciples. And by what is he talking about? By your love. Not by your hatred and vitriol that spews out of your mouth. And just because you can quote Scripture, they'll know that you're my disciples. But by your love, they will know that you're my disciples. We can't think that we can go to people and just tear them up with the Word of God and beat them over the head with Scripture and think that that will bring them to Christ because it will not do it. It's a good question. Somebody called in and said, how do you know that there weren't some of those students that would be going to heaven after they were killed? And this is the answer they gave. You can just look at their pictures and tell. I'm telling you. There is anger that comes in the form of people saying they speak for God. And I'm telling you, it is probably one of the most damning things that has ever been said on this planet. If we can't have love for people that are lost and going to hell, who can we have love for? Those that love us? Remember, the Bible said that even the tax collectors love those that love them. And I know we're talking about anger, but what I want us to realize is it's not just we get into an an argument with our our brother or sister or our wife or parents or somebody. It's not just that kind of anger. It's any time we show anger, and people look at us and say, well, I thought they were a child of God. You can wipe out your witness just like that. Everything that you've said up until that point is meaningless if anger is out of control and you show what's really in your heart. Hebrews 12 and 15 See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and cause trouble and defile many. Even if you do it in the name of God, if you cause trouble and defile many, it's not of God. Some of the nastiest, most horrible feelings have been in churches among church members some of the nastiest breakups ever were not divorces that were from hollywood celebrities they were breakups in churches and sometimes they go on endlessly and in the process just like we looked at today In the process, people are destroyed. There is no good result from anger. None. I have read this Bible many times, and as I studied this word and studied this lesson this week, I still have not found one place where it says anger is a good thing. But I've seen many places where it says that anger uncontrolled, causes destruction. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, Slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It doesn't mean that we bury our anger, ignore our anger, deny that we have anger. I believe it means that we identify it, we evaluate it, we process it, and we choose to control it. I believe the key to everything that we've talked about this morning through Proverbs and all the different books of the Bible that we've looked at scriptures that spoke on this subject I believe the entire key to all of it is summed up in the last part of this Scripture right here. And I will close with this. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God bless you.